Hey, this is Jason Hansen. I'm the lead pastor at Anchor Church. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope that as you listen, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus to live for him, to tell others about him. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you're encouraged. We are in a series uh, called Love God and Love People. This is our annual mission and values series. Annual uh, meaning we've done it once because we're church plant year and a half old. <laughs> so this is the second one we've done, um, but it is annual. Um, and so we, we are going to be doing this. We, we thought we wanted to get something uh, in front of us to think through 2021. And the phrase, love God, love people, as we think about what our mission is, uh, it just landed on us. And we want to make sure it lands on us all year. After this series, we're going to be going through the, the whole letter to the Ephesians uh, to hear what, what, how God wants us to think through both the church and life and how to do that together as we seek to love God and love people. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, so you can turn there right now if you have a Bible. Uh, if you've been around at all, you know um, that I am a math wizard. Everybody's laughing that knows because they know that is absolutely not true at all. Um, but you know, you have teachers, if you think about your schooling days, you have teachers that stand out. You have, you have people, maybe high school or junior high, uh, somewhere in college that you just feel like that person, they, they connected with me. I connected with them. How they taught, the ways that they taught was there was a connection piece. And for me, one of those teachers for me was in high school and he was a, a, an algebra teacher, college algebra now, I didn't particularly learn a whole lot. I mean, I, I, uh, I did my best um, in that class. I can tell you a couple things, but that's about it. But the reason why he was so good in my mind was because he, he understood that we as high school kids had a certain level of attention span. And so what he would do is he would teach for about 15 minutes and then he would do something crazy, take a break. He would um, have a competition where we'd try and, you know, build a, he'd take his whiteboard markers and how high could we get those? Or he'd throw, you know, can you catch the eraser? I don't know, he'd just do crazy things. Like halfway through, for five minutes, it'd be a mental break and then he'd jump back into it. And I always felt like the class went fast, I enjoyed it, I could follow along and it was great. One of the things that he did in the spring was he had something called the Froggy Olympics. He taught us to make origami frogs, these little things. And, and you could, we'd figure out how far we'd get them. You can get those things to go far if you build them right. And so he would have these every day. He would take 15 minutes and he'd say, okay, we're going to do the, the race. The first one to get it across, the, you know, quickest across the room. We'd move all the desks out of the way. Uh, that person would win a prize. And we'd do that all week. And the prize was, if you won, the prize was you got out of an assignment for free. He'd give you a little card. It was like this Get out of, get out of one, one assignment. So I'd look at all the zeros I had um, back then for not doing homework, and I'd say, I want that assignment. I'd wipe that out. Um, so I really wanted these cards, like this get out of assignment free card. Don't we always like, there's something we have to do and we don't, kind of don't want to do it, and it's nice to get a free pass, isn't it? We always like that free pass, that get out of this assignment for free. I, I, think, I think as I've thought about this text in particular in Luke, I think that oftentimes we as Christians try to find a get out of the assignment of loving others for free. We try and figure out where is it? Where's my card? Because I know I'm called to love people, but not this person. So there's a free card, right? There's something I can, I can get out of this. 
I think we do this a lot of times in the Christian life, particularly when it comes to loving others. We want to try and find the loophole. What's the loophole? And, and Jesus is going to address a man in Luke chapter 10 looking for a loophole. He's looking for a get out of this loving assignment for free card. And Jesus addresses, and this is going to help us here. We, we want to make sure that we understand this value that we are talking about this morning. We've talked about being purposely biblical as one of our values, one of the things that defines who we are. We want to grow in that as Christians, as people who love the Lord. How, what does it mean to be purposely biblical? We want that to be who we are. Last week we talked about being joyfully generous. What does it mean as a, as a Christian person to be a generous Christian? And this morning we're going to talk about being relentlessly outward. What does it mean for us to be relentlessly outward? And Jesus is going to talk about that in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Jesus is going to not just talk about it, but we're going to see that he models it for us. He, he discusses it, he addresses it, he models it for us. Listen, as, because we are prone, I think, to try and find loopholes, and actually we're prone to not stay in a, you know, a plateaued state, we don't often stay status quo in our hearts, we're either losing love for people or growing in love for people, we don't just kind of have the status quo love for people, that means that it takes a commitment for us to love others. And so the big idea this morning we're going to talk about is that being relentlessly outward is a commitment to love. And not just to love, but to love like Jesus. Being relentlessly outward, having an outward posture relentlessly takes a commitment from us to love like Jesus loves. How can we grow here? How can we grow in our commitment to love like Jesus? I'm going to make sure we try and grasp it, understand it. I'm going to read Luke chapter 10. I'm going to begin in verse uh, 25. We'll read all the way through verse 37. And then I'm just going to break it down a little bit. We're going to break down this text and we'll figure out how we can live it out. And then we're going to be finished this morning. We'll sing some songs at the end. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and uh, put him to the test, saying... Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. 
And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. We see this um, passage here. We've talked about it. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, um, we talked about the uh, different gospel version of the first accounting here where he says, who's the, you're trying to test him. It's the greatest commandment. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On, on these two commands, Jesus says, uh, hang the law and the prophets. We talked about that when being purposely biblical. How do we think about application of the scriptures? And this is the same accounting. It's just, it's just from a different perspective, a different point of view. And here we get the same answer, right? But Jesus actually, this is a little embarrassing. The, the lawyer asks him a question and Jesus flips it. Oh, what do you think? And a guy answers it and Jesus says, that's right, you answered your own question, which is embarrassing, right? So you knew the answer. What are you asking me for? Uh, this was an embarrassing moment for this guy. And, and really, as he comes to the crux of the matter, he answers this, the question the same way. Yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart. You've got to love God and love your neighbor as yourself and love people. This is, this is what it means to be a godly person. You love the Lord your God first with everything that you have. And then you turn that because you've been loved so much and you love people. When it says neighbor, love your neighbor, it doesn't mean your neighbor next door. One, you know, one digit off of your address. It means everybody you come into contact with. This is what it means. This is what it means. You, you love mankind, people, image bearers of the living God. This is what it means to, to be a, a, a godly person. Jesus actually goes further and says, uh, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. This is great fruit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the lawyer, who is an expert in the law, he, he doesn't like the way this turned. It seems like maybe there's something that he's left out of his life, maybe the loving neighbor part. And so we, we read, Luke actually in, in, in interprets this for us because he says in verse 29, desiring to justify himself, desiring to say, wait a second, mm, that, this doesn't look good for me. I got to make sure that people see me for who I, you know, I, I, want, I don't want to be put down. I want to make sure people see me up here. I've got to justify myself here. And so he asked the question, well, who is your neighbor? You know what question he's asking, actually? Who don't I have to love? This is what he's asking. Well, who is my neighbor? Meaning, surely there are some people that I am not called to love as myself, because you and I both know we, we love some of ourselves, don't we? We're pretty good at loving ourselves. Man, if there's somebody that I really want to love, it's me. I think we would all say that, wouldn't we? That's just kind of who we are. We're people. We love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, wait a second. I, not everybody. Who, who is it, Jesus? That, because I love people, but I don't love people. Like, they can't, you can't mean everybody, right? So who is it that I don't have to love? Surely it's not everybody. There was a number of years ago, I had a friendship, and like probably most of you at some point, if you've lived long enough in your lives, that friendship turned. There, there was some, I felt like I was wronged. You ever have that experience? 
feel like I was wrong, that things were said about me, uh, some lies came in, and you just feel like, man, it's just, what, what happened? Like, what happened to the friendship? And you feel separated and pushed aside and pushed down. And you think, surely Jesus isn't calling me to love that person. You, you have a that person, don't you? I have a that person. Who's that that person? How about this? Not that group of people. And I disagree with them theologically. Like, I can't love them. Um, you know, not that group of people. I disagree with them in a political realm. Not them. I, I don't like those people because they are, you know, threatening. Or I don't love them. Whatever it is. Like, we, we have that person or those people. You have them in your mind right now. But you think, I don't know if God's calling me to love them like that. Not that person. There's got to be a line. At some point, there is a line. Jesus, who is it? You're, you're, you're not calling me to love. This is what the man's asking. Seeking to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? Who is not my neighbor? Is really the question he's asking. Who is not my neighbor? And Jesus uh, doesn't, in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't just give the guy an answer. Because his answer is, make no mistake, his answer is, nobody. That's his answer. Nobody. But, but he doesn't do that. He, he wants to make sure that he makes his point. And so he tells a story. It's a, if you've been around the church, it's a familiar account, isn't it? The, the Good Samaritan um, here, here it is, like this story, this man's robbed. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He would have been a Jewish man. And he is robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And along comes a priest. Now the priests are meant to be the ones that are showing Israel how to do it. This lawyer probably would have been close to priests um, at some point, expert in the law. And so, you know, this is, this is the guy that's supposed to do it Right. People are supposed to look at him and say, this is what you're supposed to do. But he passes by on the other side. Now listen, he doesn't necessarily pass by on the other side because he hated the man. He passes by for sure on the other side because according to the law, if he touches a dead body, he can't go into the temple. Well, wait a second, the letter of the law, like I don't want to, I'm, I'm too godly for this. I can't do this. I can't bring myself down to this level. And so he passes by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, who wasn't a, weren't priests, but they're the ones that served in the temple. They're the ones that were temple servants. They were always in the temple. He also passed by on the other side because he didn't want to disadvantage himself. I don't want to disadvantage myself. Look, if I help this guy, I'm disadvantaged. I, got, I can't go into the temple if this guy's dead. Look, he's probably dead anyway. We'll just leave him. Like, I don't, I don't know. The law says... I, I just can't do it. Godliness matters too much. Like, I can't, I gotta uphold godliness here. For me, I wanna be able to go worship the Lord. I gotta go into the temple. I gotta go worship the Lord in the temple. And if I go to this guy, that is wrong. Surely God doesn't want me to go over there. So I walk on the other side. I'm not gonna disadvantage myself. I wanna do that. God doesn't want me to do that. Man, we are prone to do this, aren't we? We are prone at some point to do this, to think, well, we, we, start, way, we start pitting things against each other that are both true. We, we want to make sure that we, we get this. Jesus actually uses these two men on purpose. Listen, the lawyer would have been an expert in the law, friendly with the priests, perhaps even a Levite, and he's bringing these two to bear. These guys didn't 
go to this man, half dead. They left him. They, they walked by on the other side. But this is a little bit like, you know, a, a priest, a Levite, a Samaritan walk into a bar. Like this is a, it's like a joke. Like, you know, like this is, this is the beginnings of that joke. It's, like, it's right here. A Samaritan, and automatically, if you were a Jewish person, you would have thought mean things. Because the Samaritans and the Jews, we learn, they don't have relationships with each other. They don't like each other. They hate each other. They stay away from each other. If you're a Jewish person, you walk around Samaria. You don't go in there. You don't even walk through that place. Which is why it's radical when Jesus goes to the woman at the well in Samaria and talks to the woman at the well in Samaria. People are like, what are you doing? Because Jesus doesn't care about these things. He says, the Samaritan who you hate, who you don't want to have any dealings with, comes by and he sees this man on the side of the road. And in verse 33, he had compassion. Compassion. Compassion matters. Love matters. He had compassion here. And so he goes to him. We read he binds up his wounds. He pours oil and wine, which would have been costly. He gives it freely. Oil and wine of his own, uh, his own stash, his own store. He set him on his own animal, so now he's got to walk. He's right on an animal. Now he's got to walk it. Okay, you get on the animal. No longer for me. He takes him to an inn to take care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. He takes out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Now listen, he could have just said, take care of him, that's enough. He doesn't. Take care of him and any other expenses that you need for him. I'll be back and I'm going to pay for him. I'm going I'm to do it all. Look, don't make him pay. I'll do it. I'll take it upon myself to pay this man. I will repay you for whatever he, whatever he needs. And what we're meant to see here is that these two people, the priest and the Levite, they had no desire to disadvantage themselves for this person, this half-dead person. No desire because they had to keep up what they were going to do. I'm not going to look. If I do that, then I have to change my life. Don't want to do that. Well, the Samaritan changes everything. He goes out of his way. He has to go to an inn now. He's, you know, he puts him on his, on his uh, animal. He pays for his time there and says also, I'll pay more. I'm going to pay more for this person because of what? The word compassion. Love, church. He, he loved the man. He had compassion for him. And Jesus, as Jesus always does, asks a question. Now, to the lawyer, to this, this expert in the law, who is it that was the neighbor? And I think the lawyer's stuck. He'd be kind of stupid to say anything but the Samaritan. And, and so he says, the Samaritan. 
the Samaritan man. He is the one in a disadvantaged state showing mercy and compassion and love to those in need, to those that needed it, to, to the, one that, the one that could not help himself. He goes and he shows amazing amounts of compassion and love, proving himself to love his neighbor as himself. This is something that we need to, to get. I think, I think as tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day, one of the things Martin Luther King says famously here is about this text is that the priest and the Levite ask the question, what would happen to them if they help? The Samaritan says, what would happen to him if I don't? And we need to, we need to get this. We need to understand this. We need to grasp this. We need to get it. You know, we need to grasp even deeper. Let me just go. We're called to love God and love people. Listen, Jesus, oh, this is good. Jesus is modeling the parable of the Good Samaritan as he's saying the parable of the Good Samaritan. The, the scribe, this lawyer, is one of the ones likely, at least people like him, that will kill him soon. And Jesus doesn't say, get out of here. Get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. Jesus says, let me be patient with you. Let me have compassion on you. Because you need to hear these things. And not only that, church, but Jesus, in a way, is the Good Samaritan. You and I are the dead person on the side of the road. We, we are the ones, dead, half dead. Sin killed us, religiosity, empty religions. It's trying to take us out. It's doing all these things. And Jesus comes along disadvantaging himself. Look, he's God Almighty. We read in Philippians that he emptied himself. It's not that he's not God, it's that he covered it over with human flesh to come down to be a baby. We just celebrated it at Christmas time. He comes into a manger. He can't feed himself, yet he holds the, the universe in the, by the word of his power. Those things coexist. Absolutely disadvantaging himself to come and to give us everything that he had. So that we might not just be, okay, yeah, whew, we're, I guess we're healthy now. No, it's not that. So that we might have eternal life. This is the reality. Jesus is actually in the midst of modeling the Good Samaritan, though nobody knows it. As he's given the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is not asking us, you and me as Christians, to do something that he was not first willing to do. He was willing to do it, and he did it. And he says, church, do likewise. Do likewise, which is what he tells to the lawyer. Okay, so it was the, the one that showed him compassion and mercy and love. That is the one, the Samaritan. Listen, lawyer, listen, Christian, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. This is the call for the Christian. Go and do likewise. Who is it, Jesus? Who is it that I don't, have to love because surely there's somebody. Surely I want to get out of my assignment for free card because I don't want to love those people. I'm actually tempted to not love the Pharisees. Tim Keller just put out, pastor and author Tim Keller just put out a tweet this morning. I read it, I thought, oh man, that's for me. Even as I'm prepping this. He said, the quickest way to become a Pharisee is to hate Pharisees. And I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's make sure I gotta sit with this one for a little bit. I wanna get this because I don't wanna hate the Pharisees either. 
there is no one I'm not called to love. Now, let, let me just push the pause button here and just make one aside. Because some of you have grown up with very difficult circumstances. And I think that I just want to make sure that we're clear. The Bible also never calls us to be fools. There are some of you that have grown up with abuse, as an example. It's not that you're not called to love the individual, but you're not also called to then go and just say, well, I guess I'll just go and get abused again. I think, I think that's a heart posture. So, so we just want to make sure that like, as we think about this, th- that's, that's, I think, rare among us, but I want to make sure we're clear on that. Like the Bible calls for wisdom as well. And so if you're in an, somewhere, like if you've been abused and you're feeling guilty about, oh man, I should go, you know, get in the same room as this person, I'd say, hang on for a second. Hang on for a second. You can love them in your heart, but be wise, all right? Be wise. We've got to make sure we have that category. End pause button. I just want to make sure I said that. I think that's clear. We are called to love people because it flows from our heart of love for God. God so loved the world that he gave his son so that we might go then and also love others, pointing them to the savior of the world. We want to make sure that we get this. The kind of love that disadvantages ourselves is not something we will just haphazardly walk into. Let's go back to the big idea. This is the kind of love that is not just, oh yeah, we float into this. Oh, this is my natural, te- yeah, my natural temptation, or my, not temptation, my natural tendency is just to love people to my disadvantage. That's just the kind of guy that I am. Like, this is, just happens. It's amazing. Like, I walk down the road, and I'm like, how can I disadvantage myself? I don't have to think about it, because I just do it. Nobody says that, all right? This takes, a dis- this takes a commitment, being relentlessly outward. What Jesus is demonstrating here is a relentlessly outward spirit and heart towards other people as we think about them. How do we not go inside ourselves? Listen, the priest and the Levite were thinking internally. They're thinking, I don't want to put myself out here because I got to go to the temple. Like, we're in this thing. I want to be in there. Jesus is saying, it's outside. It's outside. Let's make sure we think in an outward posture. Let's not just think inward, let's think outward. We need to make sure that we understand this. If we are not constantly thinking about how we can grow in this, we will simply drift into justifying ourselves. And we want to make sure that we we don't do that. How do we grow in not doing this church? Because we do want to be a church that loves God and loves people, even to our own detriment, if possible as we think about it and we go forward. Two ways, two ways that I think we can grow in this. The first one is to see for yourself how Jesus loves. Here's what I mean by that. We hear a lot of things in our tribes, our Christian tribes, about what it means to love or not love. We hear a lot of things about, um, oh, yep, yeah, this, you know, this is what we should think about that group of people or this group of people. Listen, here's what I want you to do. Open the New Testament. Start with Matthew read all four Gospels, with the thought in mind, how does Jesus love? How is he loving people? What does it mean for him to love people? Look, I'm telling you, you get to Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and it is a radical kind of thing that he's talking about. It's not something small. And I think we can actually dumb it down. We can think, okay, I know I've grown up here, and so I'm going to dumb this down. I'm going to think I'm comfortable here. And Jesus is saying, that's fine here though. 
Let's, let's raise. Look, Jesus never, never pushes things away. He's never, he never makes things less important. He never makes things, he never makes the commitment for something less. He always grows it. Let me give you an example. Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, we read that and we go, hey, he can't really mean, like I, he doesn't really mean that, right? Where's my get out of assignment free, right? Don't we do that? We just think there's got to be an explanation for this. Where's the cross-references? Like, what's this cross-referencing? How do I think about this? Give me a Bible dictionary or we go, we go try and find somebody that's going to tell us it's not this big of a deal, But what does Jesus say? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, which is our text, and hate your enemy. And I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the good Samaritan. They're enemies. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons, and in this text, it's sons and daughters of your father who is in heaven. For, listen, listen to God's grace and love. Listen to this. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. He's not choosing, okay, it's only the good people I'm going to make my son rise on. This, look, the rising of the sun is an act of grace and love and mercy for us. I love the warm sun. I love living in Phoenix. I go running, no joke, 3 o'clock in July. I love it. It's 115. I love it. All right? So it's an act of grace, but that is on the evil not just the bad, the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust, which makes things grow in its kindness. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Like what's, I can love my family. They love me. Okay, I'll love you back. You don't love me? Good. I don't love you either. So let's just go, let's go our own ways. Enemies for life. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. See for yourself how Jesus loves. Don't leave it to just what you think Jesus says. Go and say, what does Jesus actually say? And here's what I want to tell you. It is a radical kind of love. Here's the other thing. Jesus never does. Jesus never pits truth against love. He doesn't. He doesn't say, okay, you don't need true things because you can love others. No, those things go together. It's why we're called to love God and love people. It's why we're purposely biblical and relentlessly outward. We want to make sure we say, look, we uphold biblical truth to the end. Sometimes I can say that to somebody that they don't like, but I say it in such a way that loves them. Jesus does this all the time. He's doing this right now with the lawyer. The lawyer's not for him, trying to catch him in his words, and Jesus is coming to him, saying true things, but he's saying it in a way that hopefully the person will get and understand. Too often, I think, in our tribe, in our Christian lives, we can think, okay, the the zingers, for people I don't like, especially if you're on Twitter, it's a cesspool. So is Facebook, by the way. I mean, I'm on there, but you go in there, you're like, the Christians are the worst on there sometimes. Because people are brutal and they're mean. And you're like, that is not what Jesus calls us to. Like we can be, we can be, say true things and be honest with people. We have to because sin, listen, if we're going to preach the gospel properly, someone's going to get offended, all right? Because what the gospel says is you're not good enough. 
You're a sinner. You need somebody else to save you. That's the gospel message. Jesus can do that for you. Some people don't like that. But am I saying it with compassion? I'm trying really hard to save somebody. Am I saying it with compassion or am I a Levite and am I a, a priest here in this passage? We need to make sure we get it. What does Jesus say? Read it and grasp it. That's one. And the second thing I would say is simply this. Go and do likewise. How does Jesus talk about it? Church, listen. We can't be a group of people. If we're going to be biblical Christians, purposely biblical Christians, and love God and love people, we can't say, well, this is what Jesus calls us to. Well, don't like that one. Okay. Doing my own thing. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says, what, what, is, what, is, what am I called to here? What does Jesus say? Really? He says that? Okay. Well, what does that mean? What do I have to change? Look, the Bible's not going to change for you. The Bible's here so that it changes you. If you're a Christian and you have the spirit of the living God in you, you read the scriptures and you say, change me, oh God. What does this say to me? How do I live my life in accordance with this? This is hard. Hey, it sounds easy coming from me up here. It is hard in practice on a Tuesday morning and you get up and you read something and you're like, I don't live like that. It's easy to close it and go, well, okay. I just, I'll just live my life anyway. Look, it's hard to say, Really? Hey, God, what what do you want me to change? How do you want me to be different? How do you want, this thing is shaping me. This thing's molding me. I had somebody one time say, they weren't a Christian. Somebody gave them a Bible. They read it and they came back and said, this book's alive. Do you know that? This book's alive. I was like, yeah, I know. Changed their life. So how, how do you think about that? What are you doing? How are you thinking about going and doing likewise? What do you have to change? What is God wanting to change in you that even right now you're thinking, I don't think I want to do that. I would say press in. Go and do likewise. What is God calling you to do? Listen, we, we love God uh, first with all of our hearts because of how much he has loved us. He models this for us. And so our first response is to say, I want to love God with all of myself. And as I look at that, I say, who, who, else, needs to, who else needs to get in on this? Look, everybody can get in on this. Who needs to get in this? Let me go have a, re- have a relentlessly outward posture and love people as he has loved us. This means we tell people constantly about Jesus. If we really love him with all of our hearts, he'll be right on our lips. We want to make sure we get that and we want to find ways to love them uh, generously. That means disadvantaging ourselves sometimes. This is what the church should be. Look, Jesus says in the, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount I just read from that we're called to be uh, salt and light don't let the salt lose its saltiness. That stinks. I, I like having salt on food. You ever have food that doesn't have salt that should definitely have salt on it? It stinks. It's no good. Jesus said the church is in danger at times of being a group of people that have lost its saltiness. We don't want to lose our saltiness. Some of that saltiness comes from the fact that we say, we've been loved. How can I love you? To my disadvantage, how can we do that? How can we march that forward? Listen, being relentlessly outward is a commitment to love like Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm going to have the band come on up. Listen, we are a church. I know that that's self-evident. That's why we're here. But we are a church. The Bible says we are a body with Jesus Christ as the head. We all have our individual parts,
that we do our own gifting, our own, the ways that God uh, calls us to be used by him. Sometimes we, we gather together and it's in singing like the band this morning. Sometimes it's in greeting outside. It's in a number of different things. But the purpose of this body, this local body, I want to make sure our purpose here and, and what, how we posture ourselves is not to be a body that turns itself inside so that you look at my back all the time when I'm preaching. I'm standing looking at you. And as a body, as the body of Christ, as Anchor Church, we want to have a posture of not inward focused you know, people try and ask what we're doing and they got to try and peer over our shoulders to figure out what's going on in there. We want to be looking outside in our community in Gilbert and in the East Valley and we want to say, hey, we're looking at you relentlessly outward. How can I help you? How can we serve you? Do you need to hear the gospel? You should come in here. This is what the body does. This is what the church should do. We are a relentlessly outward group of people. We want to grow in this. I'm preaching to myself here. We want to grow in this. We don't want to have a posture of being inward, but of being outward. Because Jesus has done so much for us. But our heart posture should say, Lord, thank you for saving me. I want to live my life for your glory, for your name. And I want other people to know this. I've said this before, if, if we had, and when you talk about uh, thinking this way and having a posture of this way, if you had a cure for cancer, which we don't have, how many thousands, millions of people have died from that? If you've had it for 30 years, we're just embarrassed or like, I don't really want to share it with anybody because I don't really know. You got the cure. There's people here in this city, maybe in this room, I don't know, who don't know the hope of Jesus Christ. You have the cure for sin. Who's going to tell them? Are you relentlessly outward or are we going to be relentlessly inward? The Good Samaritan says, the parable of the Good Samaritan says, compassion. Love like Jesus. Being relentlessly outward is a commitment to love like him. Let's love like him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together as we close.